Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm Ryan Gable, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, email rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. You can also find the show anywhere you listen to radio shows or podcasts. Most of you already know that and are probably listening there now, either on Apple Podcasts or any other platform. Just search The Secret Teachings, just like it sounds, or go to our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. You can listen to the free archive there, subscribe. If you're already a subscriber, you can resubscribe or go to aftermath.media where the new subscription archive is. And if you are a premium subscriber to Aftermath Media, you get not only my show, but you also get Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis. We finally combined all of it together so you don't have to jump around to find both of our shows. Apparently a lot of people listen to both of our shows night in and night out and kind of humbling to be in that presence with Clyde and on Aftermath. So if you want to get all of that, go to aftermath.media and subscribe today. You get a lot more than just our shows. You get a bunch of goodies. You get some other shows. You get Wes's show as well, Conspirifact, and uh, all the other stuff there on Aftermath. So go check that out. We're still transitioning things over. So we are in the process of moving part of the archive. It's still on our website, but it's being moved over as well, duplicated on Aftermath. And if you'd like to contact us on social media, last but not least, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings and on Twitter, TST underscore underscore radio. Tonight on the show, we have Laura from Mysteries Beyond, Laura Lavender was on the show with us. I have the date of the last show she did back in October of 2022, October 12th. That show was called Season of Death, and I got a really good response out of that show. I think a lot of you liked Laura, and we have her back on the show tonight. When she was on back in October, we discussed death as the great equalizer, the debt that all men pay, and not just this idea or this philosophy of death, but we looked at the mythology and we focused on Santa Morte and we looked at the season of death, which is the fall months as the earth and as mankind fall, F-A-L-L, fall, like the fall of man, fall into sort of a state of discombobulation, a state of decay and we, we reach the winter months, and then we have death, and I've said it so many times, the changing of the seasons and the changing of the guard between the four horses of the apocalypse, the white for spring, the red for summer, and the black for fall, and then chloros, the pale horse, actually a green, yellow pale horse, and when you see the leaves change, that means that, well, the sun is not as strong, and there's a difference in the amount of chlorophyll in the plants and they start to lose their color and when that happens that is a sign that death is coming the death horse the pale horse of winter and when we talked last time on the show with laura i learned something that i did not know i love comparisons and comparative mythologies and um, i learned that santa morta is also a character a deity that holds the scales that help to weigh in the final judgment. The final judgment is, of course, 
the fall as we fall into the winter. So just like Hades and the black horse, the charcoal black horse that kidnaps Persephone uh, or Jesus Christ, he is a he's a savior and a redeemer, but he's also a character or an idea. And I do think Jesus was a physical human. I, do, I don't know about the son of God, but the, the idea, the concept of Jesus, probably many different people, concept of Jesus is very similar to uh, Hades and his scales and also Santa Morte and also Anubis, who is a black god, probably literally a black god because he's African, but also black in the sense that he is a symbol of death, Anubis, the jackal, who weighs on the scales, the heart and the feather. And the feather represents the soul. The heart represents, you know, the physical. And all these ideas, you know, blackness, like the black Madonna and the black goddess Osiris or the goddess of death, the black goddess, the black mother in a way, the black one, as she's called, Kali in Hindu mythology. She's very, very, very popular. Uh, so much so that uh, CERN decided to put a big statue of her up for some reason and then do a mock satanic ritual and say that it was just a joke. Very, very weird that they would do something like that. That was, that was a couple years ago uh, that they did that. And it's kind of weird, right? I don't know what that was all about. But these kinds of things, we, we see them all over the place. And for some people, they represent uh, evil and death and destruction and chaos. And people really embrace that. But that's, in my opinion, very imbalanced. And you can have, uh, you know, I have a statue of Anubis in my studio. You can have Anubis. You can have pictures or depictions or whatever it is that you enjoy in mythology or artwork, etc. of these characters, of these gods, of these goddesses. And they don't have to represent evil and they don't indicate that you're an evil person. In fact, quite the opposite. When you begin to read about the mythologies and you read about the, the stories and how these characters are perceived, certainly they have a negative aspect or component to them, but really they're the opposite of all those things because these are the characters that these are the deities that help to weigh the soul uh, and the, the physical body to determine what is evil in you, what is sinful in you, if you will, and to strip those things from you, depending on the story and the myth and the culture we're talking about, to strip those things from you, which will allow you, whether it's in Egypt and the underworld, and the gates that the Pharaoh passes through, uh, or it's the Greek story of being able to be transported on the river, uh, which is a obviously similar thing in, in Egypt as well with the Nile, uh, or it's anywhere else, anywhere else you look in the world, literally, literally almost everywhere. Uh, even in the story of Zibalba in Guatemala, you have the same story of the underworld. And uh, these are all stories that represent life, and or birth, life, and death, the Trinity, or they represent um, the positive and negative, or the light and the darkness. And if you only focus on one or the other, like you, could, I think it's equally negative to focus just on Jesus as the symbol of light. If you only do that, you're missing half the story. And if you only focus on death, because I like skulls and knives and you know things like that, then you're also missing half of the story and half of the point. And uh, having a good understanding of both allows one to, to be balanced in homeostasis. And I think that really allows for the spiritual alchemical process, both consciously, subconsciously, and un unconsciously in other trinity, uh, to take place in the mind, body, and soul. So anyway, we have Laura Lavender on the show with us. Mysteries Beyond is her show. 
and she joins us right now. Laura, thank you for coming back on The Secret Teachings. How are you? Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me back again. I'm well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, you're very welcome. I think that these are all things that I know, well, I don't think I know that these things uh, intrigue you. These are things you talk about on Mysteries Beyond. Give us a little bit of a, yes, give us a little bit of a recap of what what exactly is your show. And then based on what I've said so far, if you have any comments, I, I would love to hear them before we go further. Sure. Um, well, you know, in my show, I talk about all things paranormal, all things occult and spirituality. And of course, with spirituality, you have both sides. So you've got your love and light side, but you also have the darkness. And I honestly love to explore both. And of course, there's something very interesting about the darkness, because like you've mentioned before, uh, with the dark, you kind of wean off people that aren't ready to understand these topics or who are just very close-minded, but it also draws in those people who are ready. So it's, I, I talk a little bit about everything, a little bit of mythology too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like your show, but I talk a little bit about everything. I don't go so much as to the, the political side, but I keep it more uh, spirituality side. <laughs> I'm tired of the political, even the parapolitical can, can be too much sometimes. I've been really trying to focus <laughs> on the mythology and the occultism and the esotericism, but also trying to apply that to contemporary events as well. I think that's important. But that, so that's Mysteries <laughs> Beyond. That's, that's your show, and those are the things you talk about. Uh, last time you only talked about the season of death, Santa Morte, and I learned some stuff on that show, and uh, I appreciate you bringing that perspective to the secret teachings. Tonight we have a similar direction we're going to take. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've brought to us tonight on the show. Sure. So I figured um, we'd go over a little bit on Kali Ma, who is the Hindu goddess of creation, preservation, destruction, and time. So basically life and death again. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. And, and of course, that's a really important distinction to make because Kali is usually seen as this really evil thing just from the name, you know, black goddess or the black deity or the black mother or whatever, like a black Madonna. But obviously black is not necessarily a negative thing. You have the black gods in Egypt, which were seen as, depending on the goddess or the god, like Osiris, the black god Osiris was seen as a god of uh, agriculture, uh, the black god or goddess, which is the fertile soil. And fertile soil is, of course, a really good thing, really good, rich black soil. So that's positive. But also goddess Kali is the goddess of time and uh, life and like creation uh, that's not a, that's not a negative thing at all though, is it Laura? Right. No, absolutely not. It's not a negative thing. And that's why I really like decided to explore her because when you first pull her up, yeah, she's going to seem completely dark and completely evil because, well, I mean, she's stomping on, you know, a, a God and she's got, you know, a bloody tongue sticking out. She's got a severed head that she's holding. She's got uh, a skull necklace. Uh, or severed head so it's necklace, depending so, on the image. <laughs> so, so it's not to bring politics into it. It's basically uh, not Kali, but uh, uh, what was her? K Kathy Griffin with Donald Trump's head. It's a very similar kind of an image. Oh my but, God. but I think Kathy actually kind of channeled that Kali energy in that. She may have. She may have. <laughs> Maybe. That's for this show, though, not for your show. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, not your guess. But yeah, I mean, you see her and she's, you know, she's even got a skirt made out of severed limbs. So, and she's holding like a bloody sword. So obviously to those who don't know anything about her, she's going to seem frightening. Yes. And it's yes. no surprise that she's misunderstood. But, um, but I was hoping we could kind of go um, a little bit of, of through her origin story because then 
from there, maybe we can talk a little bit about that symbology. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So Kali, she has a bunch of different names. And yes, as you said, that she's a goddess of creation, life, death, etc., time. So take us through that creation story. Uh, usually I do all that on the show, but it would be nice to have someone else take us through the, the mythology and the history. So please, yes, do that. Sure. So, yeah, her name, Kali Ma, obviously, I think you've mentioned it already. Uh, it means she who is black or she who is deaf. And Ma obviously means mother. But there are many, I guess there are many different variations to her mythology, just like any other mythology. But um, the most common one and the most agreed upon that I have found uh, well, goes like this. Oh, so another thing that you do have to keep in mind is that in the Hindu religion, yes, there are many different gods, but it's not that they're polytheistic. They actually do believe that there is one God. It's just that each God is an emanation or an incarnation of another. So for example, Brahma, who is the creator of the universe, uh, manifested Vishnu, who is a preserver, and then Shiva, who is the destroyer, and together, they form like this trinity, right? So together they are source. Yes, that's and a really with, important point. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's the same with Kali um, because she, I believe her, she, she's also part of a trinity. So it's going to be Parvati. I'm sorry if I'm butchering this, but uh, Parvati is the mother of goodness and you know, of justice. And then there's also Durga, who is the warrior goddess. But, um, okay, so let's go over to her, her origin story. So apparently when the world was created, you know, the battle for who would rule the world uh, began also. So energies aro- arose and they took form, right? And some, some came from light and those were called devas and others came from darkness and those were called asuras or later known as demons. So obviously the gods wanted a paradise for us and asuras wanted a world of suffering. And so the gods are having trouble battling, right? So battling all these demons, but one demon in specific, which I think is interesting because you've thought of the buffalo. Well, anyway, his name is Mahishasura, but he's known as a buffalo demon. Um, and then you could probably go over a little bit on the buffalo symbology. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah. You could transition very quickly to this because Kali, uh, you, you described what she looks like and, very, very terrifying images. But in the story, uh, whether you pick up a mythology book or if you've listened to this show before, you've probably heard me say it or if you've read my book, uh, yet you're right. There's a weird connection between Kali and buffaloes or bulls. And this is astrological in nature because Kali, she has her tongue out in most of these depictions. And she is, people think that that has a lot of different meanings, but in mythology that has a very specific meaning her tongue is out because she's trying to lick up the blood droplets. It sounds really sick, but she's trying to lick up the blood, the blood drop. There's a deeper meaning. She's trying to lick up the blood droplets of a demon uh, that is slain because if the blood hits the ground and it has time to uh, sprout, what will come out of it are more demons. So Kali is actually, rather than being a demonic force herself, let's say, she's actually trying to prevent demons from, from being uh, being born. And that's the same story you get. There's a lot of different connections here, but uh, the Mithric bull uh, and the story of Mithra's uh, Mithraism, which is just Taurus the bull. When Mithra slays the bull to bring us into the new age, he puts his sword into the beast and the blood droplets fall to the ground and they 
uh, allow flowers to spring forth. And it's a very similar story all over the world. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? What, what, this is a, such a similar mythology everywhere you look in the world. I think it's all really astrology uh, at its base, though. It definitely has its influence in astrology. But, right, so I think a lot of people think, oh, Kali's evil because she's here to destroy. But she was actually, if you look at her origin story, she was actually manifested to do away with all the evil. And so the only way, because these gods were having trouble battling all of these demons. And so she manifested out of Durga, the goddess of war, mm-hmm. or the warrior goddess, and was able to slay that demon, who they actually called Bloodseed, uh, by you know, defeating him, slaying him, and drinking his blood. Mm-hmm. But the only thing was that when she was done, so after she defeated all of these demons, she couldn't be stopped, right? So and a lot of people say that, oh, maybe it's because of all the demon blood that she consumed that intoxicated her and, you know, made her go on this, like, dance of destruction that she had. But anyway, the gods then got worried because they couldn't stop her either. So they asked Shiva to do something about it, and then Shiva decided to lay on her path. And so it wasn't until she accidentally stepped on him and felt his warm body that she realized and, and what she was doing and came to her senses. So that right there, I feel like it shows us that she can be a remorseful goddess, that she can be transformational, and, you know, she's thoughtful. So that's a different perspective than many of them. Many of the people who look into her don't know. Well, that right. And this is what Manly Hall said about Baphomet, you know, and, and you referenced this already tonight. Baphomet is the symbol that for a lot of people, it looks like an evil thing. It looks like a devil. It looks like, uh, you know, the, the goat, which is the symbol of the black mass for a lot of witches and a lot of uh, historians, a lot of other people that are just interested in these things. But really, it's a symbol that draws people to the darkness or to the idea of darkness who are really immature and therefore, once they're drawn to it, uh, the door, if you will, opens and they're actually brought into a, a sacred place where the light is shining. It's kind of how Manly Hall describes it. But it also, you know, it, it prevents people who are not ready for that uh, transition spiritually. It prevents them from from accessing what that symbol represents, because it's like a it's like a scarecrow. They get scared away from it. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you can be immature whether you look at Baphomet and think, oh, yeah, that's really cool. I'm going to get that tattooed because I like Satan, which is really mature, immature and ignorant. <laughs> it's as immature and ignorant as being like, I don't want to look at that symbol because that's a devil symbol. It's like, uh, I mean, I even heard Laura some of the other day said that the lightning bolt, you know, just an average lightning bolt uh, is also a symbol of Lucifer and the devil. And I'm thinking, wow, they're really stretching oh. now for symbols that represent <laughs> Luciferianism. It's everything's Luciferianism. Well, well I've never I mean, I could I could see the association, but I don't know if my perspective on it is the same as theirs, but I doubt it. But yeah. Okay. I, I don't even know Never. what, I don't know what to think sometimes. And I, it's very, very, it's very, uh, I don't want to say it's immature, but in the sense of immaturity, you have the immaturity on both sides, the people that are so opposed to images like Kali but then when you, you study it, as you have, you pointed out that she's also the, she was, she's a creator goddess. She's here to, uh, well, she's here to literally lick up the blood of the demons to stop the demons from spawning. And then she's also very remorseful and she's can be very kind. And so it's, it's a very positive thing, even though it looks kind of dark. And, uh, I mean, isn't that, there has to be some aspect or some element of just uh, and this is not a joke. This is a very real thing. But like of the feminine of of women in general, 
because uh, women are more emotional. So there has to be some aspect of that included in her. Just like with masculinity, you find that also in you know all the different gods from all over the world. There has to be a little bit of, of the human quality there as well. Right. And that's why she is associated to the dark feminine because of her, you know, chaotic nature and um, exactly what you said with emotion. But um, I think that makes her a really powerful uh, deity, a really powerful goddess. Certainly. Because she has that that dual aspect where she could be very motherly and at the same time she could be, you know, that force of destruction. But it's not, it's not evil. It's like you say, it's it's a necessary, (laughs) I guess, evil in that way. But you know what I mean? It's not not bad it's not negative she's just here to to do away with them put away all the people we might but you know what oh sorry go ahead oh i just we might call it tough love there you go tough love (laughs) but um so that that origin story is the most common or the most recounted one but what i found out when researching that is that it's not what's actually in the text that's just what people keep you know it's just a story that people keep telling to give an explanation for the the stomping of Shiva, mm-hmm. but originally uh, Durga and Kali, you know, when they're on the battlefield, they go on to slay all those demons, and then ever, you know, eventually revert back to the original form of Devi. So, I mean, but <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and this is this is like with everything else. I mean, the idea, it, it, like I say, everything else. I mean, like every story about a god or a goddess, every mythology, over time just naturally, especially because most of these stories used to be told word of mouth and they would be handed down, not in text, especially in in India uh, or pre-India or Saravasti civilization. We're talking before texts were really a thing. So the things would be passed down orally uh, and they would be memorized and passed down very, very, very uh, detailed and very specifically, very, very um, uh, elegantly, very, like very strictly. They did not deviate and when texts came about and when these things were put into writing and put onto paper, put onto, you know, whatever they were inscribed on, uh, kind of ironically, that's when things started to lose their, their meaning and could be adjusted and altered because uh, they weren't held in the minds of, of people that were respected, like very high priests, let's call them, uh, people that were respected in, in the community that uh, were kind of the old man in the cave idea where it was, it was their job to recite the Vedas or their job to recite these stories. And when it was put to paper and made more widespread, that's when alterations began. And then over hundreds, over thousands of years, people tell their own versions of the story. And so we get that kind of universal idea, but told in a different way, depending on who you're speaking to. So you have to go back to the original texts to try to get an idea of what the story really is. But I mean, ultimately, no matter who the god or goddess is, no matter what the mythology is, I think, Laura, most of the real true meaning, the things that sound really absurd in these stories, like licking up blood, the the true meaning has probably been lost. We can find the comparisons, but the the real source has probably been lost. That's in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the whole licking of the blood, (laughs) which I I thought was like, yeah, it's kind of gross when you you first think about it. But I, I I understand it's that like um that purity or that uh purification that she's doing, you know, she's taking it within her and um you know in, in order for the I guess for the greater good. You know. well, we drink the blood of Christ, right? So I don't really know how that yeah. would be would be much different. Let's talk about that a little more when we come back from break. Our guest this evening from Mysteries Beyond Laura Lavender. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is the secret teachings. 
From para-history and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium options. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Hello folks, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. I hope you find it enlightening. Laura Lavender is my guest tonight on The Secret Teachings. She has her own show, Mysteries Beyond. You can find that on Apple Podcasts. That's Mysteries Beyond with Laura Lavender. Tonight, we are exploring the black goddess, Kali, the black one. Last time Laura was on the show, we talked about Santa Morte and how there are a lot of connections and comparisons between her and, well, countless other gods and goddesses all over the world. And I think I'm finding from what you've said so far, Laura, a very similar series of comparisons between... Well, other gods and goddesses once again, but also I think that there's some sort of maybe parallel to Santa Morta as well with Kali. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, definitely. And I was hoping you would see that because it was kind of a shock to me when I was looking at their Kali. I was like, oh, she's just like the Hindu version of Santa Muerte because Kali is the female personification of death. And she deals with, you know, as we said, creation, preservation, destruction, and time. And that's exactly what Santa Muerte uh, is known for. And and Santa Muerte is the female personification of death as well. And the only difference, well, I mean, there are a few differences, but one main difference that I found between Santa Muerte and Kali is that Santa Muerte uses the scale to Mm -hmm. symbolize the, you know, the balance of the world and Kali, uh, as well as Shiva, the god of destruction, uses they use their dance to symbolize the balance of the world. 
which I thought was interesting. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're both, you know, known as the black goddess. Um, so yeah, you could look at dancing. You could interpret dancing in that way, depending, I guess, on what kind of dancing it is, but all dancing, you're using your two feet and you're having to balance. So there's a, a parallel there, perhaps. There you go. <laughs> well, with, with dance, um, what I found is that, Oh, you know, you look at dancing, you're like, okay, what is dance? Well, we do it to rhythm and rhythm is the fifth hermetic principle, yes, right? So yes. it symbolizes that, you know, that ebb and flow of life. Uh, it's a cycle, so which is how we measure time. By the way, we, you know, we compare it rhythm to a constant. So in a way, Kali is dictating the flow, you know, the ebb and flow and rhythm of life of reality. That's a fantastic point, Laura. You're exactly right. That's uh, profound, actually, and that's something that can really help us. What you just said really help us to understand. I think the the subtleties and almost the absurdness of her licking up blood or having her tongue out licking up blood, which just sounds gross and weird and evil and satanic and demonic. But there's also a deeper meaning to that as is there to dancing as well. And there are many interpretations we could give, but I, I, whether it's something that's lost over time or it's supposed to have a deeper meaning, so you have to go searching for it to, to find understanding. One quick example would be in alchemy. If you read a bunch of alchemical texts, they'll tell you to put you know, these substances in a vial or a vase, and then you put that vial hermetically sealed into cow or, or horse poop, literally. But that, mm -hmm. that material is, is supposed to represent the gross matter that is, you know, the body or that is the physical world. Not that life is, you know, a bad thing, not that the world is evil and gross per se, but compared to the divine and spiritual, this is a a lower level of existence and it is an experience. So by putting those elements inside of the horse manure or the, the cow manure, whatever it is, um, it's a representation of, of life and the earth and the physical. And it's not for some people, they think, well, I actually have to put some, I'm sure people have actually put little jars in piles of poop and thought, well, I'm going to get a homun homunculus out of that, you know, it, it sounds right. it sounds gross, but it, so it deters people and it allows ignorant people to do stupid things. But there's a much deeper yeah. meaning. And what you said there about the dancing, very profound. Oh, thank you. But you I mean, yeah, blood and, you know, I've learned from you and your show, you know, blood is our life force. It's what sustains us. It's our essence, right? So it's appropriate of, you know, the goddess of death and creation to be holding that bowl of blood. Well, in some depictions, it's a bowl, and in others, it's like a, a skull cap mm -hmm. where she drinks drinks from. So yeah, it's, it's all life force. And I think in in one of the books that I have, you know, people people like then when they would go watch like beheadings and stuff, would you know some women would actually walk up to I guess the the corpse, you know, the bloody corpse, and they would dip their skirts. Yes, that's in true. Hopes yep. of getting yeah, in hopes of getting that a little bit of that essence. So I mean, there's that symbology with blood. Same thing with uh, Valentine's Day, Lupercalia. Do you know much about that and the blood rituals? Yes. Yeah, I did an episode recently on Lupercalia. Uh, I'm, look oh. I'm looking at it now. Rome, Lupercalia, and Valentine's Day. I see that, though. You did that. I did not hear that one yet. Yeah, not a lot of people know that it started out as a Roman ritual. I mean, and we could go you know, as far back as with Rome, um, Romulus and Remus, you know, the whole... Uh, being nurtured by the, the wolf and, and you know, the, yeah. <laughs> and so the men, men would go out there and 
whip women and they would dip them in the blood, you know, in the, I guess the blood of the sacrifice. Right. Yes. Goat, goat, I believe. Goat. Or, they had this whole ritual. They would do do it to, I think they would do it with dogs too. It would be goat hide, but they would dip it in the blood of a dog or of a wolf because the dog, right. the dog and the wolf, which are similar uh, genetically and in terms of species, they're similar uh, as a symbol of fertility. So it was actually a fertility yeah. ritual. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't just spilling the, like cut the dog's throat and hell Satan. Yeah. People are so no, absolute no. about things. No, it was actually to try to get people pregnant and to try to make sure that the crops grew so you didn't starve to death in the winter. Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just to be, you know, it wasn't for the, it wasn't for show. <laughs> it had, it had a much deeper meaning to it. That we now, uh, that it evolved into Valentine's Day with the whole, uh, I guess merging of the saints and you know, that all got yeah mixed in together, and so now we have what we know as Valentine's Day, where you know we celebrate love and friendship, and we use the color red and we use the color white to symbolize the milk that, they, that was also part of the ritual because mm-hmm. it was the milk of the uh, of the wolf. So it was a nurturing substance. So there's that. <laughs> And that's the same thing uh, when you study the origins of Christmas traditions. You find that the well, the white is usually sperm, uh, but it is a it is a symbol of fertility as well. Like every single one of our holidays or holy days is based on fertility, and they're not. I mean, you think sperm or blood or something like that, and it kind of sounds vile, but these were the things that people did because believing in the harmony and the rhythm and the the natural cycles and. Uh, the sympathy between things like, you know, what is above and what is below, the hermetic axiom. Uh, they used mm-hmm. these substances because they believed that they had an energy and a magnetic energy. Uh, so uh, whether they needed to make sure that people got pregnant or needed to make sure that the crops grew, uh, they appealed to what to me still makes sense today, hundreds, thousands of years later, is a sympathetic form of magic, looking at things that are similar, that are parallel and uh, trying to combine them together to draw on the energy of, of something quite positive. They're trying to create life, not destroy it. Right. They're trying to, exactly. And then they also understand that, you know, with life comes, with death comes life. So again, it's that cycle. Yes, it does. Yes, it is. And in fact, you know what? This is a, a whole show we could do separately, but it just makes me think, Laura, of y- you might think that's really primitive and that's really barbaric. Well, let me ask you this, uh, not you, Laura, but as an audience, let me ask you this rhetorically. Have you ever seen what goes on in a hospital during birth? They treat the woman like she's an animal and it's very barbaric and it only benefits the doctor the way that they have the woman lay and they just pump her full of drugs and they don't let the body naturally do its thing. It sounds like as barbaric as the Roman festival of Lupercalia sounds for fertility, what we do today is not any less barbaric in, in terms of birth and life. In fact, we seem to impede life in the name of progress. And in those days, as non-progressive as it seemed and as barbaric as it seemed, they were very focused on life because it was uh, a much more direct thing. They didn't have grocery stores to go get food. Uh, they didn't have fertility clinics. So they did things that seemed to, to make sense. Anyway, that's that's my, my viewpoint on it. <laughs> and, you know, I've never really seen, I've never seeing what happens in a hospital when, when a woman gives birth. But I, I imagine it's very, like you said, it's very barbaric because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, life is beautiful, but life can be very, very chaotic. Life can be very messy, very bloody, very gory. It's not necessarily, 
a, a beautiful thing in terms of like, um, um, I guess appearance wise, it can be very shocking, very, it can have certainly have a, a huge impression if you've never seen it, I'd imagine, <laughs> but yeah, it's not, it's not so different today than when, you know, thousands of years ago. And I mean, it's the same thing with any medical practice. We, we look back a hundred years and think, well, why were they using mercury to, uh, to cure, you know, skin problems. And it's what led to a lot of cases of leprosy. The mercury made people's skin fall off and they called it leprosy. Uh, same and same thing that we have today, whatever we're doing today with drugs and surgeries in a hundred years will be looked at as barbaric, but today right. it's, it's cutting edge. It's state of the art. That's true. Yes. Yeah. I learned, I just learned about that. I didn't know that they used mercury for, um, for medical uh, practices back then, but it makes sense because it's a, it's a metal. I mean, why wouldn't you try to experiment with things? It's true. We do that now with like uh, vaccines and you know, all the different chemicals that are in there. So it's yeah, probably in like thousands of years, we're going to look back and like, what were these people thinking? Yeah. 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 That doesn't mean that we're, we're necessarily living in a barbaric age, but just it's a matter of perspective and seeing things in context and try not to, uh, be culturally egotistic, uh, like, or n- egotistic in terms of our civilization as we perceive it, that we're so much more advanced because in a lot of ways we're not more advanced, but in some ways we are more advanced. It's, it's a re- really matter of context. It's really, really important, which is, uh, you know, something we have to apply to the story of Kali, which is why you're here tonight to talk about Kali, uh, similar to Santa Morta and looking at the scales and looking at the dancing that scales that weigh, the solar, the, the, the body or the feather and the heart in Egypt uh, and the dancing, which is, as you pointed out, the flow and the rhythm and time. And, and these are all things uh, that are encapsulated in the image of Kali and various other gods and goddesses around the world. Things that on the surface might look scary or terrifying or heathenistic, but really underneath of them is not just this beautiful, complex mythology, uh, really, at its core, there's, I would say, Laura, there's also a lot of science there because they're observing and trying to understand how things work in nature. And that's all science and physics are, just the nature of things, how things work. Right. And, you know, with the symbology of Kali, you know, speaking of like science, which makes me think of like the intellect, and she's also holding a bloody sword, which at first, like, oh my gosh, that's really, really violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, it's actually meant to symbolize knowledge and wisdom. It's kind of similar to that, you know, the, the suit of uh, swords in, in tarot. Yes. The air yes. element. And, yeah. Similar. So it's like knowledge and wisdom and intellect. So it deals with that. So meaning that she is, I guess she has a higher consciousness, you know, above what, what we currently understand. And then, of course, in the in the other arm, she's holding a severed head. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm pointing out all of these like violent and like gory symbols, but it's to point out this symbolizes that severed head symbolizes the ego, right? So she does away with all of that. So with her sword, she slays away the ego, mm-hmm. and basically to get us to reach to higher levels of um, you know consciousness. It's about enlightenment and. Um, ascension or whatever you want to call it <laughs> yeah i mean yeah we we had a show with suzanne ross recently we talked about what ascension means to someone who uses the word ascension and it's basically a, a form of spiritual development yes and that's what kali represents and a lot of other i mean story of isis in in egypt is a story of alchemy it's a story of um 
spiritual ascension, if you will, as well. And these are these are all things that have to do with the development of the the internal components of of mankind, how we develop internally as opposed to externally. And these ideas are uh, again encapsulated in stories like that of Kali, as well as the creation of the the physical world and time, and you know, which is Chronos in Greek, which is chronology, and all these things have a uh, similar set of uh, parallels because they're all really coming from the same kinds of observations that man is making, whether man is in what we call South America or in Australia or in Asia, any part of Asia or in Europe or wherever we see the same right. things and we, we give it, just give it different names. And you brought up Saturn. So that like made me think of obviously the, you know, the planet and, and father time and how it's also usually seen as dark and evil because, you know, it's associated with death. Um, but as we all know, it, it deals with tradition, discipline, structure, so time and death. It, it has a very serious and heavy energy. But, you know, with talking about, you know, the topic of time, it, it reminds me of Saturn's return, right? So every 28 years, supposedly, you know, we, we have this planetary, uh, I guess, force come back into our chart. And it's supposedly not, a pleasant time in our lives. And I, if I look back into my own personal life, I, I can certainly agree with that. I didn't have the best time during my Saturn's return. But again, it's that father time reminding us that another cycle has gone by. And so it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of there to ask you, like, what have you done with your time? What are you, what are you doing mm-hmm. with your life? So he's a reminder, right, that we aren't always going to be in this material world and that we need to get our ducks in a row. So that's kind of associated to, to call the I thought. And that's a positive thing, you know, that, in fact, we were talking before the show about uh, Meister Eckhart and the German mystic, and I'm going to use the quote again. I use it probably once a week at uh, the last couple of months. <laughs> if you fight your death, you'll feel the demons tearing away at your life. But if you have the right attitude to death, you will be able to see that the devils are really angels setting your spirit free. And that is a another profound statement and a concept that I I think a lot of us need to really think about these ideas of demons and evil things and devils and monsters and blackness and blood. And uh, these all have a positive component to them. Uh, Right. And I I really rebirth. Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I was gonna say, yeah, no, I really like that quote too, which I, I believe I saw it in your book. (laughs) You know, and uh, that's another thing that I was I wanted to tell you here. Uh, while doing research for Kali, I referenced your book <laughs> because you really your book really does have all of you know everything and well a lot of uh, what I needed to know for her because in another hand she's holding a Triton, and I have this book that I I got at a bookstore, and it's called uh, what is it called Signs and Symbols. It's a source book, right? And so I was trying to find the symbology behind the Triton and it's not in there. So I thought, you know where it might be. It might be in occult arcana by Ryan Gable. So <laughs> I did and I found it there and I, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Well, that makes me happy. I'm glad that my book was uh, of use for you. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's been a lot. It's been great use with all the topics that I talk about. And of course, you know, I compare it to other, um, to other sources, but you're pretty, it's all very spot on. So I can, and it's definitely a reliable source. I can say that. I appreciate that. I don't know what version you have. You should, I should give you the, uh, the newest version 
the updated updated version because I think the new one has I have a lot more on the Trident in the newest one. But I, I appreciate that. Really? Thanks for saying that. Yeah, I mean it's sincere because I really did I really did use it because I couldn't find anything on the Triton. And I know I've heard you mention, you know, you know, I've heard you talk about the homology of the Triton, but with Kali, it's supposed to represent um, I guess three qualities that are present within all of all of humans and all of life, which is, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's a goodness and action and ignorance. But in your book, I learned that it also has to do with like Neptune and it has to do with water and earthquakes. And Kali is associated with earthquakes because she has, you know, she has her dance of destruction. Right, right. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's absolutely, that's completely fitting to her and help me understand her a little bit more. And of course, as you said earlier about the feminine qualities and, you know, actual women, like literal women, you have that idea of the trident controlling the oceans, you know, Neptune and the oceans are really emotions, the water, which is influenced by the moon and Isis, you know, carries the boat because she's a goddess of water and waters bring new life. Waters uh, are controlled by the moon, just like menstruation is controlled by the moon in a sense. And as a relation there, menses, uh, uh, the month, you know, the time of the month for a woman. And that's, you know, the, the menstrual blood and all these connections and uh, the trident controlling the emotions. Women are more emotional. So oceans, emotions, and you get that uh, that parallel, that connection there, too. It all It's all, again, coming from the same place. It's human observation and uh, human awareness, consciousness, uh, intellect, whatever you want to call it. It's fascinating. That. Fascinating and so true. See, I had overlooked that part, even though I knew you know water is associated to emotions, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so sometimes you have to talk it out. <laughs> that's that's what that's why we're doing the show tonight. Yeah, that we're just t- trying to talk it out. And if you think about water and emotions and and in relationship to mythology, uh, that means it's not just science that we're looking at. Physics, trying to understand the world that is and how it works, but it's also psychology. Uh, it, I mean, these are things that uh, our ancestors or whatever you choose to call them, they were very, very interested not only in how the world worked, but how the body worked and how the mind worked and how these uh, different concepts uh, play out in uh, in the, the real world, trying to understand them, giving them names and diving into the the depths of human consciousness yeah. and where we came from and where we're going and what our purpose is. Uh, people have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years, and these are the the remnants of those stories. And I think that they tell a they tell a a, a hell of a good story, uh, especially when you find the parallels. It sort of starts to blow your mind uh, between cultures. You realize yeah. that everybody's seeing the same thing; they're just describing it differently again. Yes, I mean, like I said, when I was researching Kali, I thought, you know, like, oh my gosh, she's so similar to Santa Muerte, and they're and yes. yet they're so far apart. Right. So yeah. how did they? you know, how do they put these two correlations together being so far apart and they're yet so similar. And like Santa Muerte, who is known as, you know, the black goddess, so is Kali. And originally her, her body was black. I mean, now it's, it's more blue. If you pull up pictures, you'll see her as blue. But they both have that, you know, symbology of black and um, being associated with, you know, the void and um, I guess that cosmic womb, right? So that, that state of, creation and um, potentiality um, so I man that's fascinating you know <laughs> I when, mean, she's not, I'm oh, sorry go ahead. go ahead no go ahead go ahead 
I was going to move on to her body being blue, but if you had something to add. <laughs> maybe, maybe the blue, I mean, the blue could be wisdom. The blue, maybe the blue is the ocean controlled by the trident. The blue could be a lot of things. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I related it to like being associated to the heavens. Yes, that's true that too. Maybe that's fitting of a God because you know, it's logical that they'd be blue. They're associated to the heavens, but also, you know, it's, that color indigo and indigo is associated with the, with the third eye, right? So the Ajna chakra, which talks about clarity and intuition and knowledge. And just thought of, um, I don't know why I thought of Twitter, <laughs> the blue bird. <laughs> oh, that, you know awesome. what that, yeah, go, go ahead. Say what you were going to say about the blue bird. I don't want to cut you off. <laughs> Again, it's like that, that intellect and wisdom, you know, it's got that, um, that error quality. Right. Yeah. 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 And in fact, the blue bird, we did a bunch of shows on Twitter symbolism. And then, of course, Elon Musk, when he bought Twitter, what the uh, the Tesla logo, it's not just the engine of the Tesla. It has a deeper meaning. The red Tau cross is a symbol of, uh, well, the Templars and a bunch of other stuff. But the blue bird, uh, just kind of a random thing in one of the symbol dictionaries I have, they actually mention the blue bird in particular. And it says the um, it's in the Surlot dictionary I have. The blue bird is a symbol of pure thought, like raw uh, consciousness expressed, which I think is funny for Twitter. See, this is where that political thing comes back into play, but we can apply the occult stuff to the contemporary political right. thing. Uh, the, the idea of Twitter being this platform where you can only say a certain amount in a particular you know, post, in a, in a text or whatever people call it, a post, a tweet, um, is really confining to pure thought and consciousness. You can also look at it as sort of having to refine that thought, but it's not the, the purity of just raw uh, flowing thoughts. It's actually quite caged. So the bluebird is in the cage on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I know it's kind of hard not to include the whole, you know, politics of it because it's real life. This is, you know, us or you applying it applying all of your knowledge and you know all of your findings to real life so it it, it definitely matters it matters it's just sometimes it's better to to not focus on it so much because it makes me angry you know but it makes most people angry too but by the way before we take this break we should probably mention some of these other parallels we talked about the blood drops that she licks up so she licks these droplets up kali does to prevent mm -hmm. demons from being born correct that's right, yeah, because the demon that they were trying to slay, which is a blood sea demon, uh, was attributed a boon, and a boon is kind of like a quality. So for every drop that he spilled, uh, a new demon was manifested. So that's why Durga was so angry and manifested Kali to help lick and, and clean you know, all those demons and slay uh, this blood sea demon, which she did successfully, but in turn it, it caused her to start this dance of of destruction. So, I mean, I said earlier, this is very astrological and it certainly is because of the story of Mithra slaying the bull and the bull has this blood that drips out of the wound and then it spr sprouts up flowers in the earth. It's a symbol of the changing of the seasons and also the changing of the ages. But uh, we, we, we can find what's that. Oh, the and the bull is, is a symbol of fertility as well, which right, has yes. to do with life. Which is why the flowers come out of the ground once the blood hits it because it uh, creates this fertile ground. This life force is uh, absorbed into the ground and just like sunlight. And then you have the, the flowers spring forth exactly. 
And so it's astrological, but I guess you could look at it almost as you could see it as psychological as well, because what we're dealing with here is the the as she's licking up the blood droplets and preventing demons from being born. There's a sort of um, there's a spiritual element to it because, you know, we drink Jesus's blood in order to be mm-hmm. redeemed. And that redemption is a spiritual redemption. And so she's sort of preventing these demons from being born as a as a redeeming quality to it uh, to prevent them from causing uh, more destruction in the world of man. So you can look at it in a lot of ways. Laura Lavender is our guest this evening. We're going to continue just having a discussion about this when we come back from break. There's a lot more we're going to get into in the next hour. Laura, quickly, where can listeners find your show, Mysteries Beyond? Oh, sure. Mysteries Beyond with Laura Lavender is available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, basically any platform that you listen to your podcast. And um, if you want to check out the website, you can do so. It's at www.mysteriesbeyond.com. Mysteriesbeyond.com. And this is The Secret Teachings. You can find our website at www.thesecretteachings.info. Please check out all of our books. And if you're a subscriber, you can keep your subscription or go to aftermath.media to subscribe. When you buy a book, when you subscribe, you keep us on air so we can continue to do shows like we're doing tonight. I'm Ryan Gable. Again, this is The Secret Teachings, and we'll be back. This is Greg Carlwood of the Higher Side Chats, helping people navigate the rough waters of the vast conspiracy at thehiresidechats.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. From parahistory and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Want to hear more of The Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have 
have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! Listening to the Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Laura Lavender is my guest this evening, or this morning, or this afternoon, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. The music is from White Bat Audio. You can find them on YouTube, White Bat Audio. They let us use their music for free for our bumpers. If you'd like to contact the show, email rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. You heard the website during break there, thesecretteachings.info. And of course, we're getting closer and closer to Contact in the Desert, the big conference we try to go to every year. So most of the fundraiser has been... um, We've filled up uh, to our goal pretty much, but we still have a little teeny tiny itty bit to go. If you'd like to support us in that fundraiser, just go to our website. You can use PayPal or Cash App. There are links at thesecretteachings.info for all of that. And of course, I want to thank everybody who already donated to that fundraiser. Really appreciate it because if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be able to go to events like that and get some of the BTS that we have over the years. Again, my guest this evening is Laura Lavender. She is with us this evening to talk about Kali. Last time she was with us, we did a show on the season of death, Santa Morta. But Santa Morta also has a lot of similarities with Kali, as we've been discussing. And right before break, I said that Kali, with her tongue out, licking up the blood droplets, is a redeeming sort of a thing that parallels... Jesus Christ, and we drink Jesus' blood at the communion, but also we ran out of time before the break there, but also it's Jesus spilling his blood to absolve us of our sins. And you could look at demons as these sin-like qualities, things we are guilty of, uh, things that we have done that that are unethical, immoral, things that are mistakes, etc. They're not all evil and negative and dark. But when we make those mistakes, or when we do something that we know is wrong, morally, ethically, etc., when we don't live a virtuous lifestyle, when we, we don't do things that are ethical or moral, etc., then we have these kind of, kind of like sins, but not in an absolute sense. And the concept of Jesus spilling his blood and being crucified, he is... A redeemer and Kali, I think, just like she has these parallels with Santa Morta, I think also she has parallels with Jesus Christ as well. It's not just Krishna the Christ. I think Kali, now that I'm really, really pondering this tonight, I think Kali has a lot in common with Jesus Christ. And I don't mean that uh, as a profound statement or as a uh, I got you to Christians. I, I mean that literally. I think she has a lot of uh, parallels to Jesus Christ. Do you have thoughts on that, Laura? No, I agree. I mean, 
not, you know, it's not a statement to mock in Jesus Christ or anything like that, but she does. It's, it's kind of inevitable because she is a life and, you know, and death and, you know, she has, you know, she licks the droplets of blood, you know, to help humanity as where Jesus Christ also, you know, gave his blood and did you know, died for our sins. So it's, it's kind of like that where demons are, like you said, seen as those sins. So in a way, the lower consciousness versus our, our higher consciousness, which is what Jesus came here to do, right? So to help enlighten us and to teach us the way of his father. So, no, there's a, there's a lot of uh, correlations between Kali and Jesus and Santa Muerte. I, I want to say something that I find... Um... I actually find it truly sad. Uh, I had someone just as a, an example, I had someone leave me a review on Apple podcasts and said, uh, they gave me one star and said that this guy has a real problem with Christians. I'm not exactly sure why people think that or how you, how you get that out of the show. It's probably the same guy who told me I was a, I was a demon seed because I might live like a Christian, but I don't say verbally, I believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God. So that makes me a demon. But I, I find it so strange, and I'm not picking on Christians. I find it so strange that other religions tend to be exceedingly more accepting in the Christian tradition than Christians do. Like I have Muslim friends; they're so accepting of every other religion, uh, from Islam to Shintoism. But for some reason, it's really sad because Christianity really is a beautiful religion, and that absolutism of that radicalism. Uh, really distorts it. I mean, the Muslims have their own version of that too, and so do the Jews and everybody else. But uh, even the Buddhists have that own ver- their own version of that. But still, it's it's kind of sad. You don't have to comment it's on that. Disappointing. But... No, I will comment on that <laughs> because it is disappointing, and it's kind of one of the reasons why I don't consider myself a Catholic anymore. Is because I notice all of that hypocrisy, you know, between people who call themselves devoted Catholics or, or devoted Christians. But, I think they have it backwards. I think they're not the they're the ones who are not living up to their morals and standards um, because they're not as accepting, and in fact, they're more judgmental than any other religious group. I mean, if you looking back at the at the Hindu religion, I feel like that's probably why they're more uh, accepting or why they have all these different gods, but at the same time, they're monotheistic is because they understand that they are different. You know different emanations or different incarnations or manifestations of one God. And it all goes back to one, but yeah, I mean, it is disappointing for sure to, to have those comments, but you know, for what it's worth, I don't, I don't think that you're a, a demon seed. Demon seed. Well, you're, you're, you're probably lying to us. You're not a Catholic anymore because uh, you, you do blood sacrifices to Santa Morta, right? That's probably. Oh, you, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> She slid a chicken's throat right before the show tonight, everybody. So, <laughs> yes, it's a sacrifice to make this show uh, super entertaining and yes. fascinating yes. to the audience. And you guys know that that's what I do in in my closet before the show too. I usually kill a chicken or a rabbit or a kitty cat or something like that to the devil because hell Satan, you know, whatever that means. So anyway, uh, Kali licks up the blood droplets. And this is something that we find, you know, it's a redeeming thing, but it's also something we find as a symbol of, well, I guess redemption would also be kind of like a, a form of rebirth because you're being redeemed for something that is negative or something that is a, a misdeed or something that is immoral, et cetera. It's a sin. And we find that idea and that quality of redemption also in countless other mythologies. For example, Dionysus, who is a god of wine, wine we associate with blood, 
this case of Jesus Christ in the, in the story in the Bible, uh, and the blood droplets of Dionysus in the myth drop to the ground, and out of those blood droplets sprout a tree, a pomegranate tree. In the story of Adonis, blood droplets from Adonis in the myth, they drop to the ground, and out of where they hit the ground comes this crimson, this beautiful red flower. Uh, Atis, who I believe... Um, uh, in a couple of days here, actually, I think it's the 22nd. So it's Ost- uh, is it Ostara, uh, the spring equinox. Uh, Atis, this is when Atis was, well, kind of born and or crucified. Uh, but Atis is a very Jesus-like figure. He, he was actually crucified. As a matter of fact, he was a shepherd as well, I believe, in some of the stories. But Atis, when he was, when he was uh, bloodied, his blood fell to the earth. And in the story, in the myth, it was a redeeming a uh, droplet of blood or a series of droplets that redeemed mankind in the same way that Jesus's blood redeemed mankind. Uh, we mentioned earlier Taurus the bull and Mithra slain the bull and the bull relationship to Kali as well. And the droplets from the bull strike the ground and here come flowers. So Dionysus, Adonis, Atis, Mithra, the bull, Taurus, in all these cases, you find that the, the sacred fluid, or what they call Nama Sebastian, strikes the ground, and out of it comes, in almost every case, the same exact thing, a tree, a plant, or a beautiful flower. And these are things that are not negative or evil by any means. And you find the same story in probably one of the more popular myths, uh, the story of Mother Earth. And I don't mean this in a New Age way. Mother Earth is actually Gaia. It's a Greek name. And Father Heaven, Aranos, Aranos and Gaia, kind of like Geb and Nut in Egypt, they uh, have these children. And Aranos, who is very heavy and dark and kind of uh, not evil, but a necessary evil, he's very abusive to his kids in the story. And one of his kids is is actually Kronos. And Kronos really um, attacks his father to sort of defend himself and the rest of his family. And the blood droplets that come out of Father Heaven, Aranos, they drop to the ground and they spring forth a, a race of giants. Uh, so this leads to a progression of the evolution or esoteric evolution of mankind. And we know that there were giants in the, in the Bible as well. So giants, call them demons, call them flowers, call them whatever. Again, we're finding the same series of stories here, Laura. They're all telling us the same thing or something very similar. Right. And I'm so glad that you brought all those up because I've, I've heard you mention them before and I know a little bit about it, but you know what? I completely overlooked <laughs> overlooked them because I was so focused on Kali, but you're right. They all have, you know, that the correlations with the blood and the, and the droplets. And it's, again, it's fascinating that all of these mythologies throughout the world seem to have all of these similarities. You know, and then, then the quality of being um, redeeming, and which reminds me that you know, Kali is is a transformational goddess because you know after she you know was done with all that demon slaying, after she stepped on the god Shiva, you know she had that you know she came to her senses, right? So it was kind of like that redeeming quality, and she stuck out her tongue as a form of uh, embarrassment and modesty. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that means, once again, we have a balanced story, and that's why it's persisted for so long, for so many thousands of years, because there's a, there's a combination of both the positive and negative, the masculine and femin, uh, feminine there as well. Yeah. So that's a, 
and you, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna go say, ahead. you said, you said balance. And, you know, when we were talking about her dance of destruction and, um, you know, associating it to, you know, the hermetic principle of ebb and flow and yes. you know, the rhythm of life. So that cycle of life, her dance, actually, I was just reminded that, um, yeah, you're right. It, it does have to do with that duality because her right, her right foot represents being in the, in the right path, right? So that righteous path and the left foot, if you notice in, in some of her imagery, uh, will represent that of the left-hand path, right? So the meaning, placing matter over spirit. So again, we have that duality and that balance. And that's maybe also why we look at these Hindu gods and they have more than two arms, the forearms or the six arms. I mean, that's not just some kind of, some somebody on like acid making these drawings and paintings yeah. and carvings. <laughs> That also has a much, much deeper meaning, just like, again, the, the way that the feet are positioned, the way that the, they hold certain items or the items that they hold, what they're standing on. Yeah, yeah this isn't just someone scribbled something down. It's, you're telling an entire story, what could be a book, in an image. Uh, and that's a very powerful right. thing that speaks to the subconscious. Because you brought up the arms, and yeah, you're right, again. So uh, in some Hindu um, texts, I forget which one, but... They're uh, gestures of duality. So one hand represents you know, fearlessness and the other hand represents blessing. So you're, you're absolutely right on that again. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I'm, 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 not, I'm not wrong about it. Let's say that. I'm, I'm trying to be humble. No, <laughs> not meaning like, never mind. <laughs> no, I, I, I sound like I know a lot, but I really don't. And Laura sounds like she's, just, she's kissing butt, but she's not. It's just I, this is all I do. If you ask me about anything else, I have no idea. No idea what's going on in the world otherwise. No, I think you have a fair, a fair idea of what's going on, at least more than I do. I, I'm so, I, I guess I let this consume me as well. Okay, yeah, the, 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 here's, another, here's another point that should be, point, should be pointed out, something else that should be pointed out. When people listen to someone on radio, whether it's you or it's me, Laura, uh, the, the idea, the perception is like these people have a lot of money or these people are, you know, they're a step above the rest, but no, we're, you and I, I mean, I, I've always said, I'm just an average person. I really don't want to be seen as the next somebody or the next someone else or whatever. I, I'm just me. I'm just doing what I do. I've done it for 14 years and I'm just trying to provide you with things that I find really interesting, uh, trying to provide you as an audience with things I find really interesting. And Laura's the same kind of person like off air. We're, we're, we're just people. So I don't, I don't want you to think I'm I'm not Jimmy Church. I'm not Art Bell. I'm not yeah. George Norrie. I'm just me, and I'm just trying to bring you things I find really interesting. I'm try to be uh, intentionally and sincerely humble about it because I uh, I find these things to be enlightening and and powerful and um, at the very least entertaining. I don't I don't know about you, but that's that's how I know. I, I agree. I agree. I you know on the show on on my show at least I probably sound like I know a lot as well, and I you know it's 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 like you, you know, you once said, well, my show is, you know, heavily influenced by yours and by you. So I take your advice. I remember one time you said, you know, I'm not smart. I just read a lot of books and, you know, <laughs> I just, these are all of my findings. So if you want to learn or if, you know, if you want to, I guess, be more knowledgeable, you have to do the work. So I took your advice and I, I, I'm doing the work. I'm trying to research and do all of these findings and trust me it's not easy because i have a full-time job and you know I have, I have my husband so i have a life outside of that too so 
if you make it a, if it interests you, then you'll make it a priority. And, you know, eventually many of these things are going to stick and you're going to come up with your own conclusions and you're going to come up with your own, I guess, theories. And then you come across other sources and you realize that you weren't so far off. And so you take it from there. And we need, we need different points of view because we need to be able to interpret the, you know, in the, the depictions of Kali, we need to be able to interpret why she has multiple arms or why she's holding a severed head or what the sword represents or where she's standing. And we need to apply that sort of contextualization to everything, especially uh, controversial things, because we need to have different perspectives and we need to be able to disagree sometimes. And uh, these are not negative things to disagree and to, to look at things and say, hey, I see something a little bit different. That, that's how we learn and that's how we grow. Mm-hmm. And that's all very, very positive uh, there's also the story, I'm sure you've heard of the, both you, Laura, and you as an audience have heard of the story of the quest of the Golden Fleece, correct? The quest of the Golden Fleece? I, yes. I don't know. I don't think I've heard that. Remind me. <laughs> okay, so I, I, honestly, I've not, read the, I've not read the entirety of the epic or of, of the story. I've read uh, various outlines of the, the quest for the Golden Fleece, the quest of the Golden Fleece. But regardless, and, and in short term, it's basically... Uh, there's a, in the story, there's an ointment. This might seem random, but I promise you it connects with what we're discussing. There's an ointment that is bestowed in the story upon uh, the leader of a group. There's a female magician uh, that bestows this, mm-hmm. this leader with this ointment. And the ointment is supposed to keep the, the wearer safe from all harm. So it's this very protective uh, potion-like, solve-like type of a thing. And uh, so the ointment, uh, you'd rub it into your body to keep you safe and nothing can penetrate you. Nothing can hurt you. Now, the plant, this is really interesting. The plant that this magical substance was derived from also sprouted from the ground because of blood drops that fell out of the wounds of Prometheus. So this, the quest of the Golden Fleece is a really, really uh, famous, popular, iconic uh, story and within that story, you have this parallel to the mythology. Uh, and this is, uh, this is the, the story of, of Jason, by the way, for anybody who's in the, the Argonauts. Uh, but you have this parallel to the mythology of Prometheus. So this magical plant in the, in the story, with the, which this ointment was made out of, came from a plant uh, or came from the ground, from the blood drops. The plant sprouted from the blood drops of Prometheus. And that's just, I mean, whether it's in the, the, the epics and the, and the poems and the mythologies and the stories, all these things are uh, included uh, because it's all coming again from the same place. And the ointment is really, once again, it's this protective thing. And that protective thing is what, well, again, Jesus gives you this protection from evil with the blood droplets that are redeeming and the blood droplets that are purifying, you know, the blood of the lamb. Uh, it's the same thing. Again, I'm going to keep saying it over and over. It's the same thing everywhere you look. It's a slightly different in different places, but it's pretty much the same thing everywhere you look. Uh, if you start reading uh, poems and books and stories like The Golden Fleece, you'll start to find these parallels and realize, oh, it's it's all telling us the same exact thing, and there's always a, a deeper meaning. And I and, and I say wow. that I say that so generally because that's really what this show is about: to find the generalities and then to put them together and, and to see the patterns. Yeah, see, I learned 
another thing because I, I didn't know that story. Now I'm going to have to go look it up and, you know, look into all the details because that's what I do though. I get so obsessive sometimes that I, I look at every single little detail and sometimes it gets to be too much, but I feel like, you know, these images, there's detail in there for a reason. And I feel like everything probably has some form of symbology behind it. Even if it's not intentional. Yeah, certainly. But yeah, mo- exactly. mo- most things are intentional. I mean, most fast food restaurants use the colors red and yellow because uh, psychologically speaking and in scientific studies and psychological studies, it induces a state of hunger and uh, a primitive kind of hunger in people. And so they, they go to those restaurants. That's why most, most of those restaurants are red and yellow and their, their logos from McDonald's to Arby's or whatever. Right. Exactly. And so I, the, those are things that I have recently learned as well. And I try to incorporate them even in my promotional videos. Uh, more than likely I do everything for a reason from the lyrics to the colors that I wear, uh, to, to everything. <laughs> it's just so that it ties in with what I'm going to try to present. I envy your videos. Cause I, I, I just can't, <laughs> I can't do videos myself to promote the show. Clyde even does videos. I just can't do it. I don't, I don't like being on camera. No, I have seen some of Clyde's videos and they are pretty interesting. And I think it's good because it, it, I guess it invites people in and it tells them a little bit about what you're going to talk about. So if they interest them, then they'll, they'll come. They'll hear yeah, what yeah, you have definitely. to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole point. I, but I should do no, it. I just don't, uh, sorry, go ahead. But you, you, you have a different approach to it though. You use a lot of imagery, which is interesting. And I like that too, because you know, from a person that likes to, you know, decode everything. I'm trying to figure out what you put in there. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of little details. I'm like, Oh, I wonder if he did this because of this. <laughs> so that, I'm pretty sure you do. That's, that's funny. You say that because a lot of times that's not the case. I mean, I definitely, if it's just a symbol, <laughs> a symbol that I'm choosing like an image or something for the promo, but sometimes mm-hmm. I do th- intentionally throw, throw things in there. I mean, I guess you could say it's always intentional because I have to find the right image that works anyway for the show topic. But I don't know. I, I did that one show called ja- Did you listen to the show I did called Jabs for Jesus? I believe I did. But remind me what you talked about. I, well, it's I'm the only thing because I reminded me of the title. The title was catchy. Yeah, it was the promo picture. It had that Jesus with like, the cool uh, bro Jesus. And it had the different COVID variants. So it said like Alpha and Omicron. And I just I typed in under Alpha and Omega's Alpha and Omega variant. Like little things like that, which are just kind of fun or funny. Yeah, I do try to use right. symbol, symbols and images more than videos. Well, that's cool. I mean, we need different approaches to it. And I think that's fascinating because anybody who's into, I'm sure the majority of your audience is into all of that, into symbology and, you know. Yeah. And you know what? Also, I feel like the, I oh, actually I know that a lot of, a lot of my audience, a lot of you listening uh, also don't have social media and you don't like using uh, the internet to make payments. So people want to send me, you know, a check for a book or they want to, send me a physical letter, which I love that stuff. So I'm, I'm definitely attracting that because I hate, I really hate technology. I know that's a strong word, but I'm attracting that kind of an audience. And I'm glad that all of you are listening. If you have, I, mean, I, I, I don't know how people are listening when they don't really have technology. I guess it's like an old computer or something, but they, they tune in somehow. Go ahead. Right. No, I will say this about social media. I use it, of course, to remove my videos, but I have to say it gives me so much anxiety. Mm, I, yeah. Sometimes I, I find it fun creating the videos because of all of the, um, you know, all of the little meaning meanings that I try to put behind it. But as far as posting it and you know getting the, you know, the feedback, whether it be positive or negative, I, I get so much anxiety from it and having to 
I don't know. It, it, I if, if it wasn't for the show, I don't think I would have it. Honestly, at yeah, all. same here. Yeah. Well, we could we could use that to. Um, I, I I think we can find a parallel between the idea of social media. Social media is very uh, glittery, and mostly people try to present themselves as glamorous and living a you know their best life or whatever that means. And people are putting up their best pictures, and you know everything's about the image and the visuals and what makes someone look the best, et cetera. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it creates this false image or this this artificial idea of what someone looks like or how they live their life and we can compare that to the idea of in my opinion the idea of baphomet because if you look at social media social media draws people in and it draws people down and it makes you feel anxious and stressed and worried and one of the facebook founders sean parker even said that it was developed to exploit a vulnerability he said vulnerability in human psychology so it's meant to draw you down. But if you look at Baphomet, Baphomet is actually meant to draw you up. It's meant to be a positive symbol. And you can find proof of that if you've ever seen the El Diablo tarot card, for example, that depiction of the devil, the horns are downward, the torch is downward. It's pulling you like social media into the abyss or like the symbol of uh, Starbucks, which is Melusine, the siren. It pulls you into their establishment and, and forces you to buy coffee. Uh, that, that's literally what yeah. the symbol is. And so, but Baphomet pulls you up. The horns are pointing up. The torch is pointing up. The pentagram is pointing up. It's drawing you to a source or to divinity as, a, as opposed to pulling you into the abyss. Uh, anyway, that's what I see when I see social media. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I agree. I mean, okay, you brought up, you know, Starbucks and, and the imagery and symbol behind it. But um, I recently gave up coffee. And Good for you. <laughs> well, I'm switching because like, anyway, coffee, I, caffeine makes me jittery and it gives me like palpitations. But anyway, I gave up coffee, but I found myself because at work, all of my coworkers on their break, they walk to Starbucks every single day. But even um, some of my coworkers who are, it's a yeah, siren, even Lord. some of my coworkers who are trying to not consume as much coffee from Starbucks, and they only go because it's, you know, the only thing around there, but they try so hard, but they always fall. They always fall back. And I'm always reminded of that. It's, it is a siren. And there is power behind that imagery. And I, I mean, I interpret it as them being, um, I guess, influenced by it. And even though I tell them, I'm like, hey, look, there's, you know, the, the siren and she's, you know, she's calling you in. So like the siren, they're going to bring you down in your destruction. They're going to, you know, not only are you going to get fatter, but your wallet's going to get skinnier and <laughs> You know, I try to tell them all of this, but they don't listen. And I just, I view it that way. I'm like, oh, they're being drawn again. So you have to have a lot of willpower to even after you know all of these things. It sucks the life and the energy, which could be currency or health or whatever. It sucks all that out of you, which is what the siren does. The siren leads you to uh, your death, which is, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you could, you could sue me if you choose to. I would love to explain this in court. Uh, it's not that it's necessarily even intentional. It's not that all the Starbucks employees are involved in a conspiracy. It's just that they use that, that logo. The original logo actually was just Melusine, and then they thought it was too explicit, so they zoomed in and changed the color of her. But this is what companies do because they know that symbols have power. It speaks to the subconscious, and it, it draws people in, whether that's a literal siren uh, or it's just the colors that attract our subconscious and, and uh, make us hungry or whatever the case is. Laura Lavender is our guest this evening. We're going to talk more about Kali in the next and final segment. 
Her show is Mysteries Beyond, and you can find it by just typing in Mysteries Beyond, Laura Lavender, and you should pull it up pretty easily on the internet. When we come back, I'll have her give her information out again, and we will go further into the black abyss that is Kali and all of the other black goddesses and these concepts and what they mean. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Don't go anywhere. From parahistory and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium options. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Hello folks, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. I hope you find it enlightening. You are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Laura Lavender is my guest tonight, this afternoon, this morning, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. Another thing about Kali the black goddess that we have yet to discuss that we will focus on here in the final segment. Some of you might be thinking about it. That is, you think of Kali, and you might have heard of the Kali Yuga. Kali Yuga, or any of the Yugas, the different ages, and the parallels, as we've discussed recently on the show, we did a show with Brad Olson. We talked about the Yugas a little bit. The idea that whether you're talking on the subject of Hopi mythology, like Native American Hopi Indian mythology, they talk about the different worlds that were destroyed by fire, by ice, and by a massive flood. Those are the three worlds that came before our present fourth world. And if we don't abide by, they say, the doctrines and the dictums and the laws, if you will, of the creator, then we will be destroyed in this fourth age as well. And if you look at uh, the Middle East, if you look at India, 
You look at different parts of Asia, you'll find the similar this the same kind of similar thing. You'll find these ideas of ages. Uh, the yugas are probably the most famous, but you also have the different ages that are in mythology and in history described as uh, the different progressions of man. You know, the Bronze Age, the Stone Age. In mythology, you have the, the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and all these different ages that represent times when the gods were on Earth, and then how the Earth has become more crystallized and more and more physical, more material, more solidified, and that's leading to destruction, but it's also part of a cycle of rebirth. This might remind you of uh, Helena Blavatsky or Madame Blavatsky's root races. There were different races of man that came long before our present age. And there's also a sort of enigmatic and ambiguous and um, questionable parahistorical document in Japan called Takanuchi. And the Takanuchi document, as it's referred to, which appeared in 1928, also describes there being these different ages or dynasties. And uh, really fascinating, actually, in that document, it talks about how there are these five colored races, five colored peoples, and they're white, blue, red, yellow, and black. And the red race is ruled by a king, and this is probably more symbolic, a king named Adam Eve. And you might think, well, that's Adam Eve. That's just Adam and Eve mixed together. This is a fictional story that's made up. But it's really interesting because even if it is, uh, the people that or the person that wrote it and, and forged it uh, knew a lot about, and this was in Japan, they knew a lot about the Abrahamic faiths and religions, uh, the Hebraic religions, because uh, the Abrahamic religions, but uh, you know Hebrew as well, like the actual language, uh, because the, the, you have this, uh, this biblical story of Adam and Eve, and Adam, in the story, Adam is, is a word in Hebrew that means son of the red earth. So there's a much deeper meaning to Adam Eve in the Takanuchi documents that speak about these different ages and these different races of man. Or if you're not interested in the mythology or anything like that, and you're interested more in channelings, think of Edgar Casey. Edgar Casey also said there were multiple, call them races. I say, I think he said, I think he said five uh, races or five ages of man uh, that were from like, I think it was 10 million or something like that years ago. So very, 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 very long time ago. But anyway, these are the things that also are associated, of course, with the yugas. And you have the different yugas. The Krita Yuga was the golden age. The Treta Yuga saw the decline of virtues. Uh, then you have, I think you pronounce it the Devapa, uh, Devapara Yuga. Uh, and then that we're apparently in the Kali Yuga right now. And the Kali Yuga is the age of chaos and destruction, but also of rebirth. And that's what Kali is. Kali is creation and also destruction and these are things that are necessary just like a forest fire it cleanses and purifies and burns away the old and makes way for the new anyway laura lavender is our guest this evening talking about the yugas and the kali yuga kali is actually the name of one of the yugas what are your thoughts on this right so okay kali yuga and kali are of course two separate things but when I first researched it, I thought, oh, Kali. Oh, I've heard of Kali. You guys, it's probably Kali because she's the goddess of destruction. But Kali, in terms of Kali Yuga, was actually another demon um, that was, I guess, the lord or the god of the age of darkness and ignorance. And, uh, yeah, according to some Hindu texts, 
we are currently living in the age of the Kali Yuga, which is the final phase. Um, and that's because this is where our connection to our, I guess our inner self has been lost. Um, this is where we're, we're eating kind of forbidden and dirty poisonous food. Um, right. So there's like meat and there's the chemicals. Well, I think meat, I'm not sure, but I don't, I don't think they eat meat as Hindus or maybe it's just a cow. Certain, kind, certain kinds well, of meat. Yeah. I'm sure some Hindus right. do eat meat, you know, just like, there's some Jews that probably don't eat kosher food. Right. But, you know, it's, I guess it's that kind of forbidden or dirty or poisonous food. So there's poison, you know, there's chemicals in our food now. It's not as pure as it once was um, in terms of like environment or air is polluted or water is contaminated and our health has substantially diminished. So it's kind of hard to argue that we're not living in those times. I wonder if you could see in, in any, though, a particular period of time, any decade, any century, uh, as being the uh, as being a Kali Yuga, because everybody always thinks that we're living in the worst time ever, because things don't always go the way that people want them to go. Maybe, maybe we're living in a better age, but I get what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying that I think anybody throughout history can always look at the time they're living in and think, "Wow, this sucks," and not look at well, the good no. things they have. That's true. I find that like in well, every I guess in every lifetime the world's ending, right? Or there's some prophecy where the world's ending. I mean, just look at how many prophecies there are in our current time where we had, you know, Y two K and then we had the I guess the Aztec calendar where, you know, the world's gonna be destroyed and oh, right. yeah, even injured. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, even with the pandemic, oh, the world is ending. Um, so it's 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 currently it's it's seeming like it's currently everybody wants to end the world <laughs> do you think or do you know from what you what you researched uh, about kali do you think that she as opposed to kali the the demon and the yuga kali yuga uh, they might be coming from the same source i mean kali is darkness so this demon may, might just be an extension of kali exactly i mean given how the, the hindu religion is where one god is an emanation of another i think haven't looked too much into it but it, it could be possible that demon kali that rules the year of the kali yuga might be associated to kali and like you said kali is you know the goddess of destruction is known as the goddess of destruction but she's also black and it, like you said it goes on to that void so i there there certainly is some correlation to it and kali yuga is the final age before there's a resetting the final yuga and at the end of every other yuga there is a pralaya p-r-a-l-a-y-a pralaya which is a fire or a great flood just like in the hopi tradition a fire great flood ice something to that effect and the kali yuga will end they believe in a larger cataclysm the largest cataclysm uh, that could be you know, anything really, but the larger cataclysm also relates to the dancing of Kali, the destructive dancing, uh, the earthquakes, as you mentioned. So there's definitely a parallel there as well. Right. So, uh, so supposedly the Kali Yuga began with like the death of the gods of Krishna. Mm -hmm. And, um, so in the end, it's foretold that I guess the 10th and final avatar of Vishnu, which is out of preservation, Interestingly enough, his name Kalki, not Kali, but Kalki, um, is foretold to come and end the age of the Kali Yuga by riding a white horse. Mm, that's right. So, You're right. That's right. <laughs> that made me think of that, you know, the, the other cycle, which you talk a lot about, which is like the um, 
four horsemen of the apocalypse and, you know, the white horse. And the, but I think with the white horse, well, with the four horsemen, it's like a, a symbolic representation of the seasons. Yes. And the white horse, I believe, is the symbolic representation of spring. Yes. And here he's riding in with the Kali Yuga. He's going to be riding in a white horse, which is not so much like a, like I guess, a, a death or an ending, but it's more of like a rebirth, maybe. Well, we're, right, because well, the because the winter the winter time and the pale horse, you know, it's death and destruction, and but also that leads to the white horse. So the Kali Yuga leads to the white horse, which restarts the cycle. And it's interesting too that I, I found some correlation between the yugas because they're they're also associated to a lot of metals. So, for example, the first phase of the yuga is Satya Yuga, and again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing these names. But, uh, it's nice to hear it's you mispronounce so- things because in a positive way, you always correct me when I pronounce things wrong because I'm really terrible at pronouncing anything in Spanish. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just in Spanish. Though. But no, you've been doing you've been doing great. I think I mentioned that one time where we brought up the <laughs> La <did>. Llorona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to try right now to say it, but yes. I'm like, no, Ryan, it's like yo-yo, Llorona. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, like, going back to like the the Satya Yuga, uh, it's associated to gold, which I thought was interesting because gold is associated to the sun, and you know, so it's like that God consciousness and golden according age. to like yeah, the golden age. So it, according to Eliphas Levite, right, it's the the word of truth. I think when he was talking about the seven spheres, mm-hmm. um, so truth, and it's the you know the age of truth, so where everybody is you know, pure and everybody's happy and you know, peace like, and harmony. Exactly. Peace and harmony. And then you move on to, uh, Yuga. Treta. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I believe it's Treta. Treta Yuga. Treta Yuga. So that's the second phase, but, um, interesting. Treta means uh, three, but it's the second one. So I think it has to do with something with the time, with the amount of time that the, the yuga lasts, but I'm uh, sorry, I'm not going to get into that because that confuses me a little bit. <laughs> I think um, we'll save that for another time, but it's the third, you know, it's supposed to be um, three times in age of Kali, so that's why it's Treta. But anyway, here the human goodness uh, started to diminish, and this one is, uh, I believe, associated to the Iron Age, which is, what, did I get that right? There's, Yuga. there's gold, silver, brass, and iron. I no. think that they're associated silver. with silver. So it was, yeah, it's associated to silver, um, which I thought was interesting because it deals with like the moon and emotions and religion. I suppose here is where you can start to see uh, different like emperors and people. I guess say starting to conquer the world. There's that. <laughs> and silver. Well, silver is the is the metal of uh, kings and the metal of man. There's actually a story about, I think it's, I want to say Jupiter. Uh, I'd have to go back and double check, but Jupiter has these, I think it's Jupiter. Jupiter has these uh, these eyes. One is silver, one is gold, very similar to Horus, uh, the eye of Horus. And one is the moon, one is the sun. You know, the sun is gold, the moon is silver. And one eye represents light, the other represents darkness or the reflection of light, which, you know, is basically the creation of the, the physical world. It's a reflection of the, the heavenly world. There's a lot that you can derive from gold and silver in in that way, in that capacity. And you're right; they are associated with those those two yugas, the Krita and the Treta. Yeah, and then the the third one. Oh, 
gosh, again with these names. Dwarpara. <laughs> I, I don't know. Dwarpara. Dwarpara. Oh, it's the third Yuga. Dwarpara Yuga. Dwarpara. Yeah, Dwarpara. There's an A at the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there, there's diff- there's definitely different ways that it's spelled. There's with a D, with a V, with a W. There's a bunch of different ways it's spelled. I think that's what confused me because when I was doing my notes, I'm like, wait, I thought I wrote it. So I thought I wrote that with a V, but then I saw it with a W. I'm like, wait, which one is it? So mm, I went with the one that was easiest to pronounce. And <laughs> Nothing wrong with the that. Part. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this is where a time to, where the, you know, there's goodness and evil and they're supposed to be neck and neck. But I thought it was interesting because um, it's represented by the Bronze Age, right? So in terms of metal, Bronze isn't a pure metal. Uh, bronze is composed of tin and copper. And like you said, Jupiter um, is in there. And Venus you know, is associated to copper. So Jupiter having to do with wisdom and copper having to do with Venus, which leads me to think of emotions because Venus is the goddess of love, beauty and love. But it's interesting that they're neck and neck with both goodness and evil and it's represented by two metals. So it's, the metal itself isn't pure. So I thought that was pretty cool. I know the yugas, since the, you know there are four yugas, they're also part of, uh, I guess, a larger cycle, and they call that the kalpa. 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 K a l p a. Kalpa. Oh, it kind of sounded like culpa in Spanish, which means, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> which means fault. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But go ahead. Who knows? There might be a relationship. I mean, if you read about Egyptian. Uh, Funerary practices, for example, they're almost, in fact, some of them are identical completely to what was done in South and Central America, you know, an ocean away. So there might be a relationship, who knows. But but Kalpa, K-A-L-P-A, I know that it is a combination of all four of the Yugas, and it's part of, basically a part of a larger cycle. So the four horses of the apocalypse, the four seasons, that's one cycle a smaller cycle, a microcosm inside of a macrocosm of the larger cycles of the heavens, the yugas, and then those are cycles inside of the larger kalpa. So it's like Russian dolls or... You know what? I'm going to be honest. I think I did come across that because I remember reading something about being cycles within cycles within cycles. Cycle inception. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Like, but you know what? I figured, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to save that for another time because I feel like that's going to confuse me more. And you know what we also... Until we, I have a... Okay. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, until I have a better grasp of what, um, of the uh, yugas, then I can dive into like the whole, uh, how many years, because there's a lot of uh, disagreement between the years anyway. So oh, of course, yeah. yeah, of course. And that's the same thing. That's actually what I, was, what I was going to say, sort of, was the idea of the years. And there are different, way different in some cases, interpretations of how long the yugas last and how long the cycles last, the larger and smaller cycles. And this is something that we we should definitely consider and, and put into context, because if you think about the stories that are in the, you know, the best-selling book of all time, the Bible, people lived to be a few hundred years old. And that is certainly something that, you know, people want to believe maybe I could be 300 years old, or if I eat the right things, I could be 500, or if I merge with a machine, I can be a thousand years old. But we have to understand that from the time period that that was written, time is perceived a lot differently. Uh, we, we perceive time today, like in 2023, differently than our, you know, our grandparents or great grandparents perceived time. And a lot of that is because we have technology today. Uh, it's sort of distractive. And when we're focused on those TV and those computer and those tablet and those phone screens, 
time passes different, just like when you're in the presence of a beautiful woman, as opposed to having to, you know, maybe, uh, you know, wait in line at the DMV, time perceptually passes differently. So just in terms of the perception, then in terms of the culture where we're getting these ideas from, how do they interpret time? The, the people that write this, the people that document this, is time itself in terms of a million years or 800,000 years, is that like literal time or is that in and of itself part of a, you know, part of a cycle or, you know, the thousands of years represent a certain number of, a uh, certain number of could mean days, it could be centuries, it could it could mean a lot of things. And in fact, the best example of that is the story of Thoth in Egypt. And Thoth wrote 300, well, he supposedly wrote like thousands of books, but he wrote like 365 books. Obviously, that is the number of days in the year. And the Egyptians right. were well aware of that. So it's like he wrote these books of wisdom. They're stored in the earth and all throughout the universe and you can find them, but they're not physical books. They're basically the laws of nature. So I think that's also what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a not a primitive, but a super sophisticated understanding of the laws of nature, the mechanisms of the heavens and how that interacts and interferes in other ways with us here on planet Earth and our perception of reality and time. Yeah, well, that's what the first uh, yuga talks about is about how I guess people back then were more like superhumans because they were giant and they were super tall and um, they were super healthy. And then as time went by or as the cycles went by, like with the second yuga, they started to diminish and they started to shrink and their uh, consciousness started to shrink as well. So being in the Kali Yuga, we're at our, our lowest point. So yeah, that has to do with that. But also you're right. Like back then people were said, according to the Bible, were set to live hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. And how do you distinguish what, you know, how do they tell time? Uh, but I think it, it just has to do with consciousness again, right? Because like you said, time seems to speed up when you're having a good time and then it seems to slow down when you're bored. Like, I know I've, I've experienced that for sure. Like when I'm at work, I'll look at the clock and it'll be like 9 a.m. And then uh, I think that maybe 10 minutes have gone by and I check the clock again and it's like 9.03. I'm like, what? <laughs> Everybody knows that. Yep, everybody's <laughs> like, had that experience. So, I mean, I'm sure everybody's had that experience of time, but it just goes to show you that time has to do with consciousness in a way. It I mean, certainly a, does. Aside from patterns and cycles, because um, I was listening to a lot of like uh, Alan Watts and um, <laughs> he he talks about time and he has an interesting point of view about time too and how it's, it certainly has a lot of Eastern influence, but he talks about how like, how do you, how do you tell, how can you tell um, eternity, right? So how do you measure eternity? Uh, because a lot of people think that you start with, you know, you've got your past, your present, and future. So they think about it in terms of linear sense. But eternity in the Western view and eternity in the Eastern view, they have very different concepts because in the Western view, you have to wait until you die, right, to, to reach heaven or hell, whichever one you you think you might be going to. <laughs> and so it implies that eternity is down to time in terms of like the clock sense. But when you think about it in the Eastern point of view, it's, it's in the present. Yeah. That's a really good point. You're right. And there's a, there's a couple of other similarities, but you know, significant differences of, of perspective and interpretation from West to East. 
like with the dragon, the dragon, you know, is an evil thing in the West and even lightning bolts. Now, as I said earlier, apparently symbols of the devil or Lucifer, which are two distinctive characters, by the way. But in the East, the dragon is a very Mm -hmm. uh, revered creature, uh, wisdom and uh, the ability to be humble and uh, a lot of other things. It's the same kind of a thing when you think of, um, you know, a lot of Eastern religions are more about the the present and finding that nirvana or that zen or the clearing of the mind and meditation and even dancing and, and, and things like this in order to achieve that sort of spiritual enlightenment or that redemption, if you will. And in the West, we're trying to achieve the exact same thing they're trying to achieve in the East. We just interpret it differently. And you're right, in terms of time, we, we see you know, death as this chronological thing. We have to die in order to achieve these, these uh, states of existence. But in the East, you can achieve them while you're alive. And in fact, not just in the East, even in the Middle East, even some parts of the West, uh, living resurrection was performed in parts of Europe and Africa. And even in South and Central America, even in the Americas, the Native Americans even practiced it. So it's all over the world, even in the West. Uh, living resurrection, being reborn again while being very much alive. This is really what the secret teachings and the mystery schools were all about. So all of that is um, has to be considered when you talk about these things. Uh, otherwise, you get these really imbalanced points of view, and you know that can really breed bias. Uh, that one is right. better than one is better than the other when they're really the same thing. They're just different. It's like different languages. Not a la- one language isn't better or worse than another language. Some might be more complicated. Uh, but they're not right or wrong, just different ways of communicating. Right. I mean, you can definitely easily get lost in the in the subject of time by going down all of these rabbit holes, especially when you're, um, you know, going, coming across different approaches of time because you can go into like uh, Einstein's theory of general relativity, which honestly I'm not going to pretend to, <laughs> to understand that as much as uh, as other people but um, then you can go to in terms of like linear time and then you can take it to uh, the esoteric approach where it's more of like cycles and then you can take it more into like that spiritual practice of the present time and the now, right? So it's, it's certainly easy to get lost into all of these. <laughs> and and this, is, this is the same kind of a thing too, Laura, with, uh, you know, you talk about Hindus and the not eating uh, cow and beef and, uh, you know, in America, we people tend to love cows and they love beef. But in America, it's very, in the West in general, it's very taboo if you were to eat a dog, obviously. But in the East, mm. it's, it's not because they're barbarians. I mean, the Hindus might see people that eat cows as being barbarians. And, you know, we see, you know, Koreans or Chinese that eat monkeys or eat you know, eat uh, dogs as being barbaric. But it, it's all, it's just a matter of perspective. It's like, what's the... What, there is not much of a difference except the cultural significance you place on the thing between a cow and, an, and, 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 a, and a cat or a dog, more so a dog. Right. It's just one you consider to be a pet, one you consider to be livestock, but you could easily have a cow as a pet. You could easily eat a dog for dinner. It's not, I just, I can't stand, this is a cultural thing. I can't stand when we're intolerant of other cultures. I'm intolerant of intolerance. I'm an I'm an activist I'm an activist no. for cultural acceptance comparisons. Well, yeah, I mean, it it, it kind of jumps into that like whole vegan topic too of like why why would you eat a cow and not eat a dog? Yeah, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> or so, 
Or if I may, one last thing, why is it okay if you don't eat animals as this virtuous thing or as a health thing or as something you just believe? I kind of have all those reasons why I don't eat animal products. But at the same time, if you're really vegan and you really try to live like a Buddhist, uh, they also don't kill insects. So every time you drive your car, you're killing hundreds, if not thousands of insects, you're running into them. So, I mean, (laughs) you're right, because. I've had that conflict too, where I'm like, I see a bug and it's in the house and I'm like, do I kill it or do I not kill it? And I kind of stand there and I think about it. But if it's like a spider, I'm, I'm completely afraid and terrified of spiders. I can't even see them. Um, even as a joke, like in Halloween. We, we have that in common. Uh, we have that. There's too many legs. <laughs> so I came to the conclusion, flying is a bit really bad, but if you're invading my territory, then you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the Santa Morta and you coming out, the collie. Sure. There you go. So going back to time with the whole, um, that brings, that brings a question, right? Like is time an illusion? So I always like to tell people who ask me that or who listen to the episode and they ask me that. I'm like, well, what do you think? Is it yes or no? Well, I'd like to say that it's both because the ideas and the concepts that are, um, you know, the man-made conflict about time the fact that it's linear is the illusion, but in terms of like cycles or in terms of like the present, you know, being in the present, then it's not. So that's the short answer for those people who are wondering. Two, two other quick things, and we're just about out of time uh, in the story of the bee nymph. I don't know if you've ever heard of the story of the bee nymph, Melissa, uh, but Melissa in the mythology was dismembered kind of like Orpheus, kind of like Osiris, kind of like Hiram Abiff in the, in the Masonic uh, story. But anyway, when the bee nymph Melissa was dismembered, kind of like the blood droplets or, you know, the sacrifice or whatever, uh, her body parts actually turned into bees. And that's why the, you know, the bees are a symbol actually in masonry as well. They're a symbol of the, the beehive as brotherhood. And bees have a lot to do with living resurrection, the geometry of the honeycomb and what the honey, which is gold, what that represents, alchemy, etc., that's something that's very interesting. And then, of course, I think Kali, I think Ka, you know, the Egyptians described the soul as having three principles, the Ka, the Ba, and the Ak. And the Ka is part of the body that survives after death. So there's a little bit of that there, too. And if you want to comment oh, wow. comment on that and then give us your website and all that, and we're just about out of time, Laura. <laughs> no, no, I, I spaced that on Ka because, they, yeah, the Ba and the Ka, the two, I guess it's divided, the soul is divided into two, right? So, like, one stays behind with the body and the other one in the sense, but you can't you can't have one without the other. I, I should, instead of looking into that, I spaced that on that one. But that's a good catch. I and, like the, that. and the Ak allows the body to, or the, well, the body to be disconnected, but the soul or spirit or whatever to continue to visit the earth. So, I guess you could say the Ak is really... Uh, kind of like a ghost or a specter in a way. And it's the symbol. The Ankh uh, is a symbol of life in Egypt. If you add an end to it, it's a prototype for the right. Christian cross. Anyway, Laura Lavender, our guest this evening, we had a really great conversation tonight. Mysteries Beyond is your show. In about 30 seconds, if you can sum it all up and give us the website, we are out of time. Sure. Uh, my website is www.mysteriesbeyond.com and you can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or basically any of the platforms that you listen to on uh, to your podcast. And you can also find me on Instagram at lauralavender.mb and or on TikTok, same handle, lauralavender.mb. Excellent. I'd, I'd like to, as I said last time, have you on more often because we're actually friends off air too for anybody who didn't know that. So we should do more shows together because this is always very fun. Thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. I always have a great time and I always look forward to coming on to your show. 
Of course. And I think uh, I'm going to go back and listen to that Looper Cali episode that you did. I did not hear that one yet. So that's on my list of things to do. Thank you so much, okay. Laura. I'm expecting your feedback. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you. I'll leave you. I'll leave you a review about how not Christian you are. Give you one star. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Have a good night. You too. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. That's Laura Lavender, Mysteries Beyond, rdgable at yahoo.com, thesecretteachings.info, aftermath.media is where you can subscribe to the archive. Now we have uh, the archive being transported over there, being, um, it's kind of bio-located right now. You can get the archive over there or over here, but when you subscribe or when you buy a book, my book, Occult Arcana, you get, uh, well, you get the book, you get the subscription, you also help support us and keep us on air so we can continue to do the shows we do Monday through Friday. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Mm-hmm.